Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound Podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. Hey, I just finished an interview with a fantastic guest named Tom Moran. I found him while I was scrolling on Instagram, caught the eye of his videos and his great music. But more importantly, he's a real interesting, fun guy. And I want you to check it out. We talk about so many different things, how he developed Muse, how long he's been in business, just really some great stuff. Let's check out his very first song that he brought to the table, Roommate of a Friend of Mine. Check it out.
All right. Hey, everybody. I am so excited about my next guest. And I tell you, I never really plan on uh, where I'm going to find new music. Sometimes I go to a live event and I go, man, I got to get this person on the podcast. And other times I'm scrolling away and I was on Instagram and lo and behold, my next guest popped up and I'm like, wow, I kind of like this music and I kind of like his videos. And I want to welcome to the Long Island Sound, Tom Moran. Hey, Tom, welcome to the Long Island Sound podcast. What's going on, Steve? Nice to be here. Hey, so good to have you here. You know, I just, um, I was listening to your music and uh, there was a guy that you remind me of and he just so happened to uh, play at the Argyle Theater in Babylon this past weekend and that's Steve Forbert. And uh, there's one song where you're playing harmonica and I'm like, wow, it's so much like Steve Forbert, which is a big compliment because I'm a, a big Steve Forbert fan. So, uh, oh, cool. I don't know, that, that just kind of popped into my mind. You know, I, I can't say I've ever. I'm going to be real embarrassed if I look him up and I know who he is right away. That that yeah, can he, happen to me sometimes, but no, that's okay. He sings going. He's been around for a long time. Uh, he came out with Jack Rabbit Slim and going down to Laurel, and he's from Mississippi. And he got his start in the New York City subways, if you can believe that. Oh, nice. I've and, I've played in those before too. Oh, have you really? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, nice. when I was a teenager, I used to go ride the train into the city, and I'd spend the whole day busking in Central Park and different subway stations. It was nice. a good experience. It was fun. A lot, a lot of interesting things that you see, <laughs> interesting <laughs> people that you meet. That, that's for sure. And now, and now I think to play in the subways, you actually have to uh, audition uh, to be really? quote, ofi official in the subways, where it was more, uh, you know, just throwing your hat down and, uh, you know, Earn your keep, as as they say. So yeah, uh, I remember there being certain spots where you needed like, like a license or something to do it. But for the most part, it was pretty easy to get away with it wherever I went. Yeah, but, how many people are gonna really shoo away a decent musician? You know, yeah, Even a lousy one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember I would have to like fight for a spot sometimes because there's a lot of musicians out there. So maybe that's part of the reason why uh, they made it a little bit harder to get away with. Right, right, exactly. So, hey, let's reel back the pages and tell me, um, when did you first pick up your instrument and, uh, you know, how'd you get hooked on uh, being a singer-songwriter? How did it all start for you? Um, well, it's kind of a something that goes all the way back about as far as I can remember. Um, oh, really? My grandma got me my first guitar, which was an acoustic guitar, so I guess I showed a lot of interest in music very early on. She had a piano, and I remember sitting at that a lot. My grandpa showing me, you know, how to, how to form, you know, the three-finger chord, you know, the middle C chord, and how you can move it around. I have a vivid memory of him teaching me that and thinking like, oh, wow, this is uh, more simple than I thought it was. Mm. I, I kind of understood it. So they got me a guitar, and I started taking lessons, and... Um, about how old? How old were you, Tom? I think I was about six. Oh, wow. Great. And um, they were like serious guitar lessons. I did it for about a year. I did a recital. It was very difficult for me. I had trouble like reading music. It felt like school. Sure. So I got very frustrated and quit and uh, focused on, you know, Little League and stuff. Um, but then around age 12, 13, I started getting like heavily into, you know, Green Day and di different punk, quote-unquote punk bands. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I was obsessed with the Beatles from a young age too. And um, I guess I was in sixth grade about, and I met my uh, my friend Ray, who produced my first album. Um, okay. And we went on to be in a band together. Uh, he had a drum set. You know, I was hanging over at his house, riding bikes all day or whatever. And uh, I ran home and I was like, my friend has a drum set and we're going to start a band. I, I need to get a bass. He told me, I said, I should get a guitar. And he said, no, get a bass. We need a bass player. So right, right. I begged for a bass. I got a bass. And then we were in a band together for uh, about 10 years. Put out a couple oh, really? albums. Yeah. So, so you switched from uh, guitar to bass or did you go back and forth? Well, I... I when we started our first band, when we were like 13, I got a bass. And probably a year or two after that, I, you know, I always wanted to play guitar. I think most bass players start off wanting to play guitar, but sure. they settle for the bass. Um, I'm sure that's not the case for everybody, but it was for me. So eventually I got another, you know, a guitar. I think I might have actually had an acoustic guitar sitting in the closet for that whole time but I started taking it out and messing with it. I, I remember not even knowing how to tune it, but just, you right. know, kind of kind of turning the knobs until it sounded like like music to me, you know? <laughs> gotcha. I was probably playing in some interesting open tunings that I didn't even know about. <laughs> Doing the Joni Mitchell and trying yeah. something different, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? Talking about guitars, I did notice um, the guitar that you have in your videos. Very, it very looks like it's stressed, like it's it's been played. So tell me about that guitar. Yeah, that, um, let's see. I think that was the second acoustic guitar that I ever got. Oh, really? It's a, okay. It's a Taylor um, Big Baby. Um, I was kind of a, a smaller guy when I was, a, I guess, 14 or something, maybe 15. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the, the beginner acoustic guitar that I had was just falling apart and I needed to upgrade. So I went to Guitar Center and the Big Baby, you know, it's it's small. It's called a Big Baby because it's a little bit smaller than your average acoustic. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was trying all these acoustics and, um, you know, I picked that one up off the wall and it just seemed to fit me like a glove. So um, I wrote most of my songs that I still play on that on that guitar. I still use that guitar a lot. I mm. still like to record with that guitar a lot. It's got kind of an interesting tone because of its size, I guess. Right. Um, it looks all distressed because I painted it black a few <laughs> years ago. And Just, um, just for the hell of it? <laughs> yeah, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was just losing their mind. Right, and right. And I was probably just super stressed out and needed to paint something. I don't know. Uh, so... Yeah, I painted it black, and then within a week, it all just started peeling off on its own. And um, it, it, it looks cool to me in the videos. That, I, I love sure. it. I think it looks cool, yeah. You know, you bring up an interesting point because, you know, when I started on the guitar, and I started late, and I'm, I tell you, it's got to be half the people out there who said, yeah, I started it, and then I put it down for X number of years, and that, that was the case for with me. Uh, what helped me was YouTube, and, and if people could, if I could visualize it, um, I could tackle it, you know, uh, as mm -hmm. far as um, reading music a little bit, but but not with any, you know, uh, any really, really good skill. So it always felt to me, particularly the guitar theory still does to a degree. It was like a big mountain to climb, you know, and mm -hmm. then once you realize, hey, you know what, I actually can 
do a thousand different songs with uh, a few chords, and, and then you then you expand from that. But back back to the guitar, uh, I went through something similar in that, you know, I had a guitar that my first guitar I bought, which is on the wall somewhere, and it, it just it didn't fit me right. You know, I don't have big hands, and uh, you know, I went up to Syracuse. Um, and uh, not Syracuse, I went up to uh, Saratoga, and there was a great guitar shop up there. And I found a Breedlove guitar, and it just fit me. You know, it just, I don't know what it is. It just, you feel like it fits you, and it, it made a difference. Maybe it was all psychological, I don't know. But uh, Yeah, guitars, guitars are interesting like that. It doesn't really matter about the brand so much as mm. uh, whether it's a good fit or not. You know, it's better to uh, go somewhere and, and try it on. Mm. Right, right. Then to yeah. get it online and have it show up, and then you pick it up, and it's like it's just not working, you know. It's it's mis- kind of mysterious. Now, when you had those, when you had that early band where you were together, what was the name of the band, by the way? Uh, we were called Exemption. Okay. And we started off when we were really young, like thirteen. Nice. And we would play. We would get together and play every weekend, all day. And uh, we started off doing punk covers. Um. Then I remember writing my first song, and it was very much like a Blink-182 kind of thing. Right, yep. I don't remember how it went, but I remember some of one of the lyrics was like, we met at the mall, because I guess I was thinking like, what do teenagers do, you know? Sure. I thought, well, they hang out at the mall. I don't know. I guess it was like the early 2000s or something. Um, but yeah, the, the lyrics were bad. The song was bad. <laughs> but I, I was so excited that I had written something. And I don't know where I got the guts to show up at the uh, at the jam session and be like, hey, I wrote something and show it to them. Right, I don't right. Remember, <laughs> I, I don't remember being nervous or anything, uh, which is very unlike me. Usually uh, it, it's a struggle. But um, kind of grabbing, grabbing the microphone and kind of asserting myself as wanting to be the lead singer and, you know, doing songwriting stuff that just seemed to come naturally. Um, so I, I'm guessing it was just kind of built into me or something. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, when you, when you when you put a piece of art together like that and you do it for yourself and, and you know, you put a lot into it. And But it, it is that risk of, you know, presenting this finely baked pie <laughs> to mm-hmm. someone to say, hey, I like it or that was lousy, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> But uh, it's a good springboard to, you know, um, follow your dreams as far as particularly being a front man with things, you know. So so now you're in that band, you, you throw out some crappy songs and uh, and then did did the bug kind of bite you to uh, start developing the muse from that point? And, and did you get into like a regular pattern of of writing or how did it go for you? Yeah, we would. Um, luckily, I mean, I, I think. We were really lucky because um, the drummer's name was Ray, and his parents had a a room upstairs where they just let us make as much noise as we wanted to, as much uh, as good we parents. wanted to. Amazing, you know? Right, yeah. They really encouraged it, and th- the equipment was there. Um, if we wanted to record, there was a way oh, to wow. do it. You know, we had like this little microphone that recorded to this mini disc at first. And we would set oh, sure. up a microphone in the middle of the room and kind of like place the amps around it a certain way. And we would record just that way. Covers and uh, our originals, developing our, our own thing. 
And over the course of, you know, 10 years, that went from punk to kind of like this grunge Nirvana-y thing. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we were recording in a much more professional way. And um, we were making kind of like this prog, metal, psychedelic, classic rock fusion thing. And okay. uh, we, we went on a couple of tours up and down the East Coast. Oh, really? Oh, wow. We have a, we released two full-length albums and an EP. And uh, we had a nice, like, good following locally. Mm -hmm. It was a really, really good time. Um, and I miss playing in that band. But I guess I was around 24 when I uh, left that project because... Like as much as much fun as it was to play mm -hmm. that kind of music, it wasn't where my heart was. Um, I always I wanted you. to play kind of more traditional singer songwriter kind of stuff. So I felt like I needed to make a decision, you know. Well, let me ask you this: When you made that decision, and you're in, you're I assume you were the front man of, of the group at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, when when you pull the plug on that, so to speak, how did that go um, with the rest of your bandmates? How did they take it? It was uh, it was pretty ugly, Ooh, but sorry. not not in a fighting way. I mean, there was a lot of tension probably the last year because I think uh, they had a sense that I was separating myself slowly. I got but you. When it finally came to the night when I showed up to practice and uh, told them, it was very very emotional. Yeah, but sure. But I think I think we were all a little relieved that you know we finally just got to that point. Mm -hmm. And they immediately started another band called Moontooth, and they're on tour right now all over the country. And, oh, wow. uh, they're they're doing great. So, wow. And um, I'm I consider myself incredibly lucky that we've stayed very close over all these sure. years. And um, I made the first record with Ray, the drummer, and I would see Nick, the guitar player, at the studio all the time. We're still best friends, so I th I'm sure that's pretty rare. But um, wow. That's great. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a nice end to that story. Hey, coming into the uh, podcast, our audience got to hear Roommate. And tell me a little bit about how that song came about. By the way, I never ask anybody what the song is about because I really like to leave it to the audience to make it their own soundtrack, if you know what I mean. But tell mm -hmm. me how, you know, when, when, when was that song developed and how did the music, uh, how did that come about? Well, the first album is um, kind of a collection of songs that I wrote between the age of 16 and 25, maybe. Okay. Um, because by the time I decided to make my first album on my own, I had been writing for a very long time, and I, I had a catalog to kind of go through and, and figure out what do I want my first collection of songs to be like. And um, I... I decided to pull from songs that I wrote very quickly that were love songs. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. why I just felt compelled to make the whole album all love songs. And um, the song Roommate of, of a Friend of Mine is basically just a true story from beginning to end. It's, oh, okay. it, it's just a, docu a document of a particular night in my life that stood out. Yeah, I remember writing it very quickly too. And nice. uh, it's it's one of the reason that I liked that and I made that the first single was because I think it it's a great uh, storytelling type of song. Sure. Not that I'm saying it's a great song, but for me, I, I felt like the storytelling in it was really strong. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, it struck a vibe of 
memories for me of, of meeting uh, a roommate's girlfriend and, and getting uh, enamored by her but That's she was <laughs> she was somebody she was somebody else's you know and uh didn't cross that line <laughs> mm-hmm. hey let's do yeah, this well, i'm sorry go ahead tom oh i was i was just gonna say that yeah i think that's how a lot of people meet people that way in their uh you know early 20s when you're in this city and you're meeting new people you're meeting people's roommates i guess so <laughs> Exactly. Uh, another reason why I like the song is just because I think that that phrase "roommate of a friend of mine" is kind of peculiar and has a weird ring to it. It has a good flow to it, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's uh, yeah. This is almost uh, how how you would introduce somebody. Oh, this is a roommate of a friend of mine. You know. Yeah. But you don't mention the friend. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it sounds so <laughs> kind of random, mysterious. but. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's do this, Tom. Let's just take a quick break, and I really want to get into. I really, by the way, I love the videos. Um, that we're going to feature uh, in this episode. I really want to talk about that. We'll actually circle back to roommate of a friend of mine because um, I really love the way that was shot and I want to uh, talk about how that was developed. So, hey, everybody, just hang with us. There's so much more uh, to discover with Tom Moran and we'll be right back after this message. Hang in there. Are you ready for the ultimate podcasting adventure? The Long Island Sound Podcast offers you not one, but two ways to engage with our captivating content. Tune in to our audio podcast on your favorite platform and let your imagination paint vivid pictures of Long Island stories. Or if you're craving a visual feast, catch our video podcast on Spotify and on the Long Island Sound YouTube channel. Double the options, double the excitement. Welcome. Hey, we are back with Tom Moran and we were talking during the break and one of the things that caught my eye and it's very interesting in how music gets produced these days and how uh, the studio is in your phone in many cases but the way I was introduced to Tom was through Instagram and um, Tom I tell you your videos were well just well produced and um, I want you to tell me about the whole theme of uh, the roommate song, how that how that came about with the old camera and stuff is really cool. By the way, if you're uh, to the audience, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple, uh, this is actually a video podcast, so you can find it on the Long Island Sound podcast. And Spotify has the ability to uh, show the video on your phone too. Just don't be driving and looking at video. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Fill us in, Tom. Well, uh, for the vid. The um, roommate video was the first music video that we did and the first music video that I ever did as a uh, as a solo artist that Mm. wasn't that wasn't like very, very super low budget. Um, I went looking online for a music video director. Okay, And um, I found Tom Flynn, who does a lot of music videos on Long Island for Long Island bands. So I reached out to him and we started talking. Uh, He told me, like, send me the song, send me the lyrics. So I did that. We had a couple of meetings on the phone. And um, I think my original idea was I wanted it to be at night. I wanted it to be black and white. I wanted to be on the Lower East Side. Right. And kind of footage of uh, me and, you know, this, this girl character running around getting into trouble and stuff. And um, 
that's kind of where the idea started, but we ended up doing it during the day, probably because shooting at night would be like a nightmare. Right. And uh, he talked me into not doing the black and white idea, which I think was smart. And, although, um, although black and white is interspersed through the camera, which that's a, a neat. It is. I yeah. That's. Right. I forgot about that, but that is some something that he, was his idea. That old camera. He he kind of took my original idea. Was like, well, why don't you carry around this old camera that you found? He brought this whole story into it, mm -hmm. where I it starts present day and it looks like I'm moving. And I'm in an empty room with a box and I reach into the box and I find this right. old camera and then I look into it and then the video starts. So it, it's kind of like a flashback. Gotcha. And uh, that was really cool. It it really kind of sets everything off in the right way. And then it it tells the story and then it ends with me putting the camera away and walking off frame. Right. Um, well, you know what's nice about that is is so one when you've developed the song. All right. So you, you know what the song's about. You know, and it's a it's a straightforward story. There's still mystery involved with it, but now you give this director the building blocks to that, and they take it in a little bit of a different direction. But it's 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 like music itself. You know, what you're playing and what I'm hearing sometimes can be two different things. You know, as long mm -hmm. as I'm getting enjoyment out of it. Um, and what's nice is, this is my opinion. Uh, the the video doesn't pigeonhole you into. Uh, in other words, if I see the video and then hear your song again, I'm not going to be pigeonholed into that scenario of you moving out, I guess, which I think mm -hmm. is a good thing. You know, I guess it can go. Yeah, it was it was a simple bookend to put at the beginning and the end of the of the video that kind of put the whole thing in this context of like it is a song about something that happened long ago. Mm -hmm. And um, that was really appropriate and brought a lot to the the video and um i remember the way we did it was very kind of improv like i met him we shot the first scene then we got on a train and went into the city and we met the actress who was amazing she's a real new york city actress her name's louisa she's a theater actress i i met her that day and we were shooting like within five minutes in central park and we oh, were nice. just making it up as we went along just like we were in Central Park for a couple of hours, just being right, then very you're in, spontaneous. You're in Times, then you're in Times Square, if I recall. Then, right? Yeah. Then we, we the last place we went was Times Square, but it was a really really fun fun time. Nice, nice. Now look, I just want to roll into another left field question. Is so I was attracted to your music through social media, and the reels that you put up. Tell me about your process with that because I think those are really just as good as the produced video. Uh, that our audience saw. Thank you. Um, the whole social media thing has been a real journey since uh, the first album came out. I worked with um, 19th and 7th, which is like a, a music media company that's okay. pretty new. Um, it was founded by a close friend of mine named Mike McManus. And when I decided to make my first album, I, I actually went to him because I, I knew that he knew what he was doing and okay. he helped me uh, get started um so i worked with with them on my first chunk of social media posts and they were all very very planned out okay very like um i don't know i felt like i was really forcing a lot of stuff 
but sure. that's you can't really avoid that like you have to start somewhere so over time i started shooting stuff on my own and you just experiment and you kind of just give yourself a minimum like i have to post once a week i have to post something so you take a day and you film some stuff and you learn how to do some editing and little by little you start to get somewhere i still consider myself a real beginner when it comes to you know content creation and well, um yeah i there, agree with you there's also kind of you have to experiment and figure out what your boundaries are on what you're willing to do there's a lot of pressure to like take the focus off the music and make comedy uh bits or or dancing or whatever dancing or review fast food you know just get your personal personality out there but um i've been really trying to keep the main focus just the music even if that means things growing way slower just i want to keep the music first you know yeah it's 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 interesting you say that because i i consider myself a neophyte um one in, in podcasting um which i really enjoy so it's it's passionate for me because i have this curiosity of how you guys do what you do um but then all of a sudden the, the other door opened up where is oh yeah you're not done just recording the podcast now you now you got to tell people it's out there yeah and and uh you know it's kind of I, I i to me it's like this it's like there are more videos out there it's kind of like the real estate commercials and the timeshare commercials that on tv after midnight and two in the morning you know i'm going to show you how you're going to make a lot of money of me selling you how you're going to make a lot of money, you know, yeah. courses, you know, <laughs> oh it's the same God, thing there's... with everything else. Hey, you know, I reached 10,000, whatever. And, 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 you know, if you take my course on how to do that and I'm like, wait a second, you know, absolutely. But it's, yeah. it's, I get bombarded a... with that stuff all day long. Oh, I, yeah. Some I, of I, it I... is helpful. I, I will say some of it is very helpful. Yeah. But I, a lot I of it isn't. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm down to like posting once every day to see how it goes. Um, I built a bit of an audience with that, all ending up with luring people to the podcast. You know, not just straight up commercial advertising podcast, but uh, now I just started this. I started doing Making Music History, where I talk about three pivotal moments each day. And it's a minute or less, the video. It's probably too long, to be honest with you. But it's getting some hits. And then I talk about guys mm -hmm. like you who are making history every day here on Long Island. One other thing I got, and I'm yapping away here because I'm supposed to let you talk, but the other thing I like about your videos, it's got a hometown feel for Long Island. You know, mm -hmm. as, as, as I'm going to tell the audience, as you're watching these videos, you're going to recognize things in Massapequa and, and around the ponds and stuff like that and the walkways. I thought it was, it was kind of neat. Maybe, you know, just like, oh yeah, it's right around the corner, you know? Yeah. That kind of happened by accident. Um, I, that wasn't something that I like set out to do, but when you have a song and you need to make a music video and you're sitting there thinking like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? You kind of just start making a list of like places that you know of and they tend to end up being your hometown and the places that you go on a day off. You know, I, I like to go to Robert Moses yep. and lighthouse. Walk by the, the lighthouse or go to the city and or the beach or whatever the the preserve i just walked through the preserve i shot a video in there <laughs> um so yeah it just it kind of happened naturally yeah it's it's just like you know writing about something you know what your experience is comes natural 
and and where you live, you, you bring that out to the world. And that's honestly, besides the lousy traffic and high taxes, I mean, we really have a great place where we're right by the beach, where 45 minute train ride, express train ride into New York City, the center of the world, besides mm-hmm. Brooklyn being the center of the world now. Um, there's just so much, so much to discover. And I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to, I'm going to change gears again. Tell me about some of the best. You now you said you toured with the, with the original band up and down the East coast. What were some of the most memorable places that you've played, um, that you would say, Hey, I'd like to get back there again. Um, as a solo artist, I don't know. Tell that me that I've played. Yeah. Um, I recently played at the bitter end in Manhattan, oh, nice. which is like a, a legendary spot that, Every time that I play there, you kind of feel like the ghosts in the walls. Um, <laughs> it was a song circle event, a New York City song circle. And um, the second I got on stage, and I've played there a bunch of times, mm-hmm. but the second I got up on stage, my mouth went dry like a desert. Oh, and, wow. And after the, and you know, I got through the show, it was, it was an awesome night, but I remember going to the host and I, I told her like, Every time I play here, my my mouth goes dry, my hands get clammy. I, I it like I just get super nervous, which doesn't happen that intensely at other shows. Sure. And she was like, the same thing happens to me, and I've been playing here for you know twenty years, wow. I, and we agreed that it must be the history in the walls <laughs> that just intimidates you, you know. Yeah. What what I like about the bitter end, uh, I've been there a couple of times. One, you never know what you're going to expect. You know who's, mm-hmm. who's who's playing. I know Richie Cannata from uh, the Lords of Fifty Seventh Street, Billy Joel's original saxophone player, does does a jam there on Monday nights. Um, but I remember going down. It's down in the basement, right? If I recall, and it's long yeah, and narrow. Like it's long down. and narrow, and the stage is to your left as you're going down. Um, so it's not it's like to the right, back. actually. Is it to the right? Okay, I must have mm-hmm. went in the wrong door. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's an iconic. It's an iconic place. All right, so you got the bitter end. You got any more that come to mind? That come to mind. Bitter end. For some reason, that's the only one that's coming to mind. But you know, lots of tiny venues in the city, and um, industry in uh, Huntington is really great. Yep. I can tell you one one that I really want to play that I haven't played yet is Spotlight at the Paramount. I have a goal of playing there and. 2024 to promote my second album i'd like to have the release show there hopefully right um and of course the paramount i would love to play there that's kind of one of my big goals right right hey you gotta you got a dream because you never know you know and you put it out there you make connections uh yeah i think it's attainable it's it's a fair fair goal open up for somebody there so when you play out and about, you mostly go out as a solo artist or or uh, a combination, depending on who's available. I do a lot of shows solo, just me and the acoustic. But I do have a band, and we play a few times a year nice. as a full band. And um, I enjoy doing both equally. Um, they're both very different. When I play by myself, it's a little bit more free form. I could mess around with things a little bit more but when the band gets together we kind of you know we work on a set list we only have so much time to rehearse and um you know you i can't i can't decide i want to extend the bridge halfway through playing a song or or uh 
just decide to change the structure of the song, you know, halfway through or anything. You got to kind of stick to the plan. Right, um, right. But it is really fun to play electric guitar. <laughs> you know, I don't really get to do that when I play by myself. And just rock out with my buddies, you know? Yeah. Not, nothing better than that, really. I tell you, one of my favorite pastimes, now that I've been talking to musicians for the past two years, is when I go see a live show and I'm really queuing cue into uh, how they communicate with each other from like, okay, you you take this now, you know. No, Billy, mm -hmm. you, you take the, you know. It, it's sometimes just a head nod or anything like that. Sometimes it's very direct, take it, you know, whatever. Yeah. But it, it's just it, it, interesting to me to see that that communication and, and that flow of, of, uh, of musicality, I guess. As, as yeah, I, I think you can really develop a bit of a telepathic language with uh, other musicians if you play together long enough. Yeah. You're right. There's a chemistry and there's a intuition of you know, who does what well and what's going to happen next. So let me ask you this. How do you, um, you write a song, okay? Um, lyrics or music, which does it come either way for you or is it usually a melody and then you strap in some lyrics on top of it? It depends. Um, there are two types of songs that I tend to write. One which is my favorite kind of song is it all kind of comes at once and okay. um, within 20 minutes the song's finished or at least the the meat of the song is written you know the verse the chorus the verse and then maybe the bridge if it needs a bridge it all comes at once and oh, okay. somewhat mysteriously um, that's my favorite kind of song to write because it's so easy um, the other kind of song I write starts with Usually it'll be a chord progression and a vocal melody, but I can't get the lyrics right away. Mm -hmm. So I'll record it on my phone and then I'll go through those recordings. You know, I have a million voice memos while I'm right. driving. I'll listen to them. I'll be like trying to find where the words are. And then maybe I'll get like one line and be like, okay, that works. And then right. Sometimes you just it, made up words, right? Just to, to fill it in to, you know. Yeah, singing broccoli, broccoli, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <Dan> right? <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah, it, it's a very slow kind of painful process, but I enjoy doing it that way, too. Um, so it either all comes at once or all comes in bits and pieces over a long period of time. Gotcha. Now, do, um, do you ever wake up and all of a sudden something comes to you and you write it down? Do you, did you ever write a song in a dream? I have written songs in dreams, but unfortunately, I usually wake up and I can't remember. Son of a bitch, that happens to me too. <laughs> and, yeah. and, my, and mine were number one hits when I was dreaming. Oh, That's, yeah. They, they're so good. It's the best stuff ever. It is. You know, it's the best thing I've ever written and forgotten immediately. It's just, it's a curse. It's, it, it's, it's, <laughs> there, ha there have been ones where I wake up and I grab a guitar and I try to figure out like the whatever chords they were and i just i can't figure it out and by the time i get something i'm like that's not even what it was you know it's it's so fleeting but now, usually you... it'll be like around midnight or one in the morning when an idea hits me and i'm like i'm usually like oh crap i'm gonna be up you know way later than i should be right right but, uh, right yeah the, the, the ideas seem to come late at night and i think it's because the world's asleep and yeah. um it's very less quiet. distractions 
Yep. Mm-hmm. And a lot and a lot in the car. That's why a lot of a lot of bands when they're on tour, they do a lot of their writing when they're when they're between cities, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or, or driving around, you know. So it's it's pretty interesting to me. Hey, let's talk about the next song that you brought to the table called "Stay." Tell me about it, and then introduce the song so the uh, rest of our audience can hear it. Sure. Um, Stay is another one that I wrote a long time ago. Um, I wrote it in this room. I think I had, my desk was over on the other side at the time. And it was one of the, I think it was like a, a sunny afternoon. I had the window open. I think I was listening to Tallest Man on Earth, who is a great uh, singer-songwriter from Sweden, I believe. Okay. And I just liked kind of the the folky strumming pattern of one of his songs and I started strumming on the guitar trying to emulate that kind of feel Mm -hmm. and uh the first line of the song just kind of came out I wrote it down sang it again second line came before I knew it the song was finished it probably took about an hour oh you uh, suck I hate you guys I was just I was just having fun writing trying to write a song that I wanted to hear you know and it wasn't about anybody in particular. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't about anybody in particular. It was probably all kind of subconscious stuff. You know, it's it's kind of a song about devotion. And um, maybe maybe I was longing for that kind of uh, connection with somebody. I'm not sure. But um, it, it's, it's, it's one of my better songs, I think. Nice. All right, I'm going to let you play podcast host. Introduce your own song as if you're going to introduce your own song. All right. Uh, my name's Tom Moran, and this is my song called Stay. All right. Check it out, everybody. We'll be right back after right. the tune.
everybody we're back uh great listening to that song thanks for the the background on how it was developed but tom i gotta ask you this you, you you've taken us through where you've songs have come pretty quickly i got a couple questions for you one being um are you a, what i would call a solo practitioner when it comes to um writing songs or have you gone out and collaborated with other people and I don't mean just like, you know, the guys in the band doing extra fills and stuff like that, but literally saying, hey, I'm going to write a song with somebody else. Or is it pretty much all you? Unfortunately, it's been pretty much all me. I mean, that's my fault. Um, mm -hmm. I think that collaboration is really important and it's something that I should do. But I've selfishly kind of uh, I feel like I can be a bit of a control freak and I take the music I write very, it's very personal to me. So mm -hmm. I get a little weirded out by the idea of writing with somebody in a short period of time saying like, all right, we're going to meet up at this time and we're both going to write something. We're both going to bang it out. Yeah. 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 That make that, that I'm intimidated by that because inspiration comes to me at the most random times. I can't mm. say, okay, on Thursday afternoon at, four o'clock I'm going to be inspired to write something right it just doesn't really happen that way so I see myself sitting down with somebody and just being like I got nothing you know but <laughs> gotcha. it's it's a different kind of exercise it's a different muscle that uh I, I'm really interested in getting into so it's something I gotta force myself to do yeah you know I I, I equate songwriting or art to to food to uh I don't know because maybe because I'm old and I think of food a lot but uh you know <laughs> I was just thinking about my wife and uh, her kitchen. You know, it, we call it the blue zone. Like you can't get near her uh, by the stove or anything. She's like a, a hockey goalie, where she'll check you right out. You know, mm -hmm. you know, get out. You know, this this is this is my gig, and and she she does she does wonderful art with cooking. Uh, and I know she'll never listen to this because she doesn't listen to the podcast anymore. No, she does, but uh, that's how I <laughs> test her. I mention her in the podcast to see if she gets it, but. I can see that uh, as being a songwriter where it's, yeah, it's very personal of how you put that recipe, so to speak, together uh, of the song and how you want it to come out and to let another chef in the kitchen can be kind of daunting, I would mm -hmm. think. Anyway, it, well, it yeah. does remind me, um, about two years ago, I went on a road trip with a buddy of mine that I used to be in a band with, and we met up in Nashville, and we did one writing session with these two other writers that we never met before mm -hmm. and we met up at a studio and we we were trying to write a song for sync um so we which is like you get a song in a commercial or something okay gotcha. it's something that all of them actually did like professionally and i didn't know anything about and it was a really fun process we just kind of hung out in the studio throwing ideas around seeing what stuck you know um but it, it to me, it felt completely different than writing a song from the heart by yourself, you know, at midnight. It, it was more of a, it felt more of like a, what's going to be commercial or something, you know? Yeah. It's, that's a, a, it's a whole different a, t animal to me. Yeah, that, that, that's for sure. All right, make me a cheeseburger now. <laughs> you know, one of those yeah. things, right? All right well, yeah. So you're like, what? what is the, do I have the ingredients? You know, you got to act fast. You got to be in the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting you say that because two people I know, and I just found this out recently, we did this um, 
we did this uh, collab, not a collaborative thing, but I, I kind of um, curated uh, four artists together, and we, they played at Arlene's Grocery. Uh, and it was like oh, the I love first, Arlene's Grocery. It was great. This the sound, the sound guy. I told the sound guy how wonderful he was because the sound was, was amazing, amazing there. And uh, we did it on a Thursday night. It was just great. And I love my my daughter goes to the Lower East Side all the time. And um, so two of the two of the artists, one of these guys, the Como Brothers, just had one of their songs played on the Young and the Restless. How that happened. And then another guy uh, who you should meet is Dante Mazzetti. He's from Manhattan. Um, very Dylan-esque type of uh, songwriter. And, and he just posted. He's, his song got on, into a Netflix movie. So mm. all of a sudden, I see social media like tonight where he's, he's, on, he's on the set uh, at this, this, this movie shoot. I'm like, holy shit. I shook his hand. <laughs> That's great. But you never know, you never know where stuff's going to end up. It's it's totally different than what you were talking about a being the moment for, for a commercial to, to develop that commercially. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it's, it's I mean, nice. the, the song the song was finished and, you know, it, it's still out there. Who knows? It might end up being in a, a Gap oh. commercial or something. <laughs> yeah, get, you got to get producer. You got to be the producer on it, though, if you want to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> right. You find out what? What's he doing? You got all the money? <laughs> You forgot about me? <laughs> and then you got those guys who change one word and they go, you know, I want to change that word for you there. You know, it really yeah. fit well. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I haven't had that experience yet, but it's probably a rite of passage for any songwriter. Right. Okay. I'm going to switch. It's like a car. The transmission's broken. And I'm switching gears again uh, out of reverse. But now I want to talk about, okay, you've written the song. You've done it. Quickly, you're pretty happy with it. Now, what do you do with it? How do you how do you lay down the tracks? Do you go to a studio? Where where where, where does your process start at that point? Well, for stay back then, uh, I had a a Yamaha 16 track. It was like an eight track, but it had a few extra tracks that you could like split between two different things. So they were really only good for like tambourine and shaker and that kind of stuff. Okay. But you had you had eight really good tracks to work with and i would record on that a lot and you would literally you know record it mix it on there and burn it to a cd all right in the in the same little computer thing oh, yeah. um so i recorded like that for a long time which was great because i didn't have lots of plugins to work with it was very basic and you couldn't punch in so you had to perform the entire song um mm. you which was challenging, but it it made me a better player, I think. Um, and then during the pandemic, which wasn't that long ago, right? Uh, I finally got Pro Tools. I built a PC and got a got a you know I forget what it's called the you know the microphone thing that you need <laughs> interface <laughs> interface the microphone thing. Yeah. And I uh, started my Pro Tools journey, and uh, it's been good. Now now that's how I record. Um, half of the first album was done on Pro Tools in my room, mm. and the other half was done in the studio, Westfall Studios in uh, Amityville, okay. with Ray, who was in my first band, and now he's in Moontooth. And uh, Anthony Lepardo is also uh, the co-owner of Westfall, and they've been super supportive and uh, helpful in me creating all this music. 
Yeah, I've, I, you know what? I, I, it's interesting. There are guys like you that do that, like kind of the, what I would say, the soup to nuts recording. And I've met other guys. Um, and I'm thinking about Mike Nugent. Mike Nugent lays a lot of tunes down, you know, all different parts for uh, different artists. And then he brings it to uh, this guy, Kevin Kelly, who um, was a professor at Nassau Community College and taught. I took his you know class. Him. What? Yep, I took his class. Come on. I did. We did not talk f- about this. I before. failed his class. <laughs> oh, well, he's a tough guy. <laughs> it, was, it, wasn't his, it wasn't him. It was uh, the music theory, and uh, I never finished the, the internship that you needed to, to do. I ended up working at a uh, – being an assistant to a booker at a venue in the city, and it was just a disaster. I was young, and I had no idea what I was doing, so right. yeah, I don't blame they- him at all. But his class was fascinating, and he's an amazing teacher. Yeah, he was. I, I actually stopped in. Um, Mike, uh, Mike's working with this guy named Bill Herman from Paradiddle uh, Records, and uh, Bill Herman puts all these um, cover albums together. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan uncovered one, two, three. I think they're working on four now. They did a Hank Williams thing, and Mike did a Dylan tune, totally different than anybody who's covered it, which was amazing to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I meet Mike, he's like, hey, let me, show, let, me, yeah, let me show you this, you know. But the thing is, I think for people like you who jump from being a musician, and I've got a real admiration for the trained ear that you develop as a musician, boom, ports right over to um, or becoming a recording producer or whatever uh, at that point, because there are things that a novice like me has no idea how you do it. <laughs> But it's it's well, amazing having, the layers. Yeah, having contr- having control over that is uh, very addicting. You know, once you get a taste for it, one, even back when I was just working with that Yamaha station, being able to layer things on my own and take the time to be crazy about it, you know, uh, that that's very empowering. So it, it's hard to give up that control and kind of hand it over to somebody else. Uh, it, I, I feel like it might make me a little bit hard to work with in that. That's what I've heard. I want heard things. That. Oh yeah, I want things exactly <laughs> the way that I want them. You know, I'm not sure. very good at uh, somebody saying, "Well, why don't we take it in a different direction or, or try this?" I'm, I usually have my idea already, and uh, I don't want to stray from it. You have, you have it uh, fully baked, as they say, going in. Yeah, so, I usually so, have things fully baked when I show up. Yeah. So before you get any crazy control freak ideas. One, you have no control over this podcast. I'm okay. going to mix it, and I'm going to put it out. And I may change the frequency or <laughs> tone of your voice. See how you treat me. We'll see how it goes. I'm not, I'm right. not going to make any promises. I come out like Mickey Mouse. It was a problem with the software. What can I tell you? <laughs> I gave you creative control of this one. Oh, my God. What an honor. Hearing that from a <laughs> control freak is, is just, ooh, made my day, man. Thanks. Well, thanks for share, sharing that that process. So, so how many how many songs do you have out there? You're on Spotify, obviously. We're going to have links. Everybody, look down below. You'll see the links uh, to Tom's uh, Facebook and website, and and his playlist too is going to be right in there, so you can uh, discover the rest of his music. So, um, so how many albums do you have out? How many songs have you had produced? Do you have a running list? Or there's one album out. It's ten songs. Um, and that's it for now. But the second album is pretty much done. 
Um, there's just a few more tweaks that I got to make on it, but I'm hoping to be releasing it in spring. Now, my question is, what's your feeling about, because a lot of people, I've heard, I've heard the, the uh, thought process of, hey, we're going to throw out three songs every so often, keep the audience engaged. Um, you're doing albums. Have you thought about just throwing an EP out there with, you know, two, three, five songs, or you want to stick to doing full albums? I've thought forward. about that a lot, mm -hmm. um, but I'm kind of attached to the idea of an album and taking the time to, you know, let it develop itself into a full package. Okay. Because I'll start off with a certain idea for an album, but by the time that I finish it, it's a completely different thing. All right. And... That's a process that uh, I just, I really enjoy. And it, it does mean that things take longer. Um, so maybe after the second album, I will consider doing something like that. Um, I've thought about maybe doing like an EP that's, that's like a long medley of songs, you know, like the, the second half of Abbey Road, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I would like to do maybe like a, a couple of singles that are, kind of multi-song experiences right um i'm not sure i'd like to if i'm going to do something like that i'd like to get more creative with it um but yeah there, there's definitely something good about just doing singles but i i think that there's a lot of value in giving creating something that's more of a, a full package or like a a larger yeah. experience than just one song because when when i was coming up as a music fan, mm -hmm. I would fall in love with albums, not necessarily just songs. Like I would get, I would get interested in an artist because of a singular song. But the thing that would really get me to love them would be the experience of a full album, you know? Yeah. So I'll, I'll date myself. So when I was a kid, the big thing was you'd buy a 45. It had two songs on it. And on side A was the popular song and side B was something that, might be popular, but might be, um, um, you know, like just an album track. Yeah. Uh, off that. And then you got, I was the same way. I got drawn into albums. It does amaze me in putting the song structure together, meaning what song comes first, what song comes last on that side of the album before you went to the next side. It's like putting mm -hmm. it in back to the food analogies. It's like putting a menu together. You know, one yeah, it's, leads, it's, one's lead into the next and so on and so forth and, and has a thread or a theme through it in many cases. It's almost like you're writing one long song using 10 different songs. You're thinking like, well, what's going to be the first verse? What's going to be the middle? And how is it all going to wrap up, you know? And yeah, I love yeah. that. I, I'm yeah. constantly writing lists. I have uh, I have these like cards you know these things here oh index cards index cards and i'll write you know the title of a, of songs on them and i'll have them out on the carpet you know and be switching them around i do that mm. all the time neat that's that's cool hey let's do this let's talk about the last song that you brought to the table um which is called hermit it's all like one word songs it's kind of interesting maybe that's your thing i don't know tell me Hermit, stay, yeah. but then, then there's roommate of a friend of mine, which is like a very long sentence. 
I, regret, I regret calling it that every time I have to write it down. The other, I the think, other thing, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I'm going to keep interrupting you. Is when you when you make up a song title, right? Where do you go when it's it's there's another song out there with the same name? Like, how do you deal with that, or do you deal with that, or you don't care? Or I have a song that... called "Oh Darling," which is a Beatles song, a really popular Beatles song. Yes, and, I've heard um, of it. I don't know. Oh, I just darling, I think uh, yep. I I'm not sure how they spell that. It might. Be, I think it has an exclamation point, and mine doesn't have an exclamation oh. point. So it could come down to something as simple as that. I used to try and get really creative with song titles, and maybe, you know, there would be the obvious song title of the song would be like the tag of the song, or like, you know, the, the main line of the chorus. I right. used to avoid doing that, and I would try to like pick something from the verse or the third verse or something. Or just something that's not even in the lyrics at all. But nowadays, I just, whatever, I, I ask myself, like, what if I showed this to a bunch of people and didn't tell them the name of the song, what would their guess of the name of the song Ooh, that's, be? Oh, that's an interesting exercise. And that's what I would typically name a song nowadays. Well, just to please. make things easier for people if they hear it somewhere, you know? Sure. Why don't we do this? Let's jump into Hermit, let everybody listen to it, and then we'll talk about it after they get a, a chance to uh, experience it. And cool. uh, hey, everybody, check out this. We're with this is Steve Yusko, in case you forgot, your not-so-humble host. And I'm with Tom Moran, and this is his song, Hermit. Check it out. I remember all the time we shared Riding on a smile You came tumbling down the stairs After taking hours Finding what to wear It's funny how your style was To look like you don't care And I stay on, on Always talking about those places we will go And telling me we'll make it there But we don't really know but Somehow I believed you just because you told me so And I stay on, on for you And it's funny how the people say that nothing ever lasts That's what I want to pass And I'm waiting on the radio To play my favorite song But it won't play Not anymore And I remember walking in the cold Going into record stores To look at what they sold And I'd steal you anything you want Stick it in my coat and I stay on, on for you And I'll remember being in your room And listening to sound waves sing the dark side of the moon And no matter how many times we listen It never played too soon And I stay on, on for you 
funny how the people say that things will change in time Cause I still know what I wanted And I want you to be mine I wanna tell you that I love you more Than I can really stand more than any other man I'm so on, on for you. 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 Everybody, welcome back. Steve Yusko here, and I'm with my special guest, Tom Moran. Tom, it's, it's, it's really so great to have you here. We promised our audience that you would dissect uh, the song Hermit. So tell me a little bit about how that all came together uh, for you. Sure. Um, Hermit is the first track on the album, and uh, I chose that particular song because it's probably the first song that I ever wrote that really stuck around mm. and um that people would you know after a show or you know a backyard show or something people would say like oh i love that hermit song you know um it used to be six minutes long there were a couple more okay. verses that got really dramatic you know but it was about you know my first love in high school and uh that whole experience and um she ended up getting a moved to a different school at one point and like we could only talk to each other through letters it was a very well wow. a, a very dramatic thing you know for for a teenager um so i wrote that song and uh people seemed to like it a lot so that's why i made it the first song on my first debut album i felt it was appropriate um you know, you know what's interesting yeah. about playing out live where you you incubate your song so to speak meaning you're getting audience reaction and uh you know you know it it chimes through good with you but you don't you never know what how the audience is going to react to it so when you get that feedback in that incubator of playing live here and there it goes oh maybe i got something here that that should be on the top of the list as far as promotion or or exposing your art out to the world you know yeah there really is no better way of finding out which songs are good and which ones you should forget about because sometimes I'll write a song and think like this is the best thing I ever wrote and I'll show it to people and just like get nothing you know but then one that I think is kind of a throwaway thing people will re really react to so you never know let me ask let me ask you about you develop you, obviously you woodshedded your craft with your guitar was it difficult to play harmonica and guitar at the same time hey I don't remember it ever being too difficult um, challenge okay this this could turn into a, a longer thing and we're going to talk about bob dylan a little bit all right um 
final when i was when i was 16 i was a lifelong beatles fan i grew up listening to the beatles in the house but my parents didn't listen to bob dylan um what's wrong but, with them what's wrong with i don't them? know i don't know <laughs> sorry <laughs> they just weren't really fans um but you know i i'd have all these beatles books and stuff with pictures and there would always be at least one picture of bob dylan in all of these books with the shades and the hair and everything <laughs> you know he was just very mysterious looking and cool looking so one day on my lunch break my off period uh i guess i was in 10th grade maybe um there was a starbucks and i was in the starbucks and that martin scorsese documentary had just come out uh no direction home right, right. and the bootleg series cd was for sale at starbucks and I would go there, you know, every day and be staring at this CD, which was like $30 or something ridiculous, something <laughs> right. that I did not have. And one day I was, I was not somebody to really steal, um, growing up, but I was just overcome with curiosity and I, I shoved it in my pocket and I took the CD and I don't know if it was that day or that week, but I had to go into the city and pick up my grandma from Penn Station. Okay. She was coming in on the New Jersey Transit. So I rode into Penn Station with my mom. She had to go to the police station in Penn Station because my dad left his cell phone on the train. So okay. she said, you know, you wait here. We have like an hour to kill or whatever. So I'm sitting in Penn Station up against the wall just like watching everybody. It's rush hour. And I put my headphones on and I start listening to this Bob Dylan CD. And um, I think I was, I remember I was listening to this live version of Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you, like, my mind expanded in that moment, sitting in Penn Station, watching these people from all over the world walk by, listening to that performance. It's my favorite, it's my favorite song. And also that particular live recording, it, you should really look it up. It stands out because the album version, he kind of sings it like he's reading it off a page but in this particular live version he's singing it with so much confidence you know okay sure um that is just very effective but um from that day on i, I was i started taking folk music more seriously songwriting more seriously lyric writing much more seriously mm. and um i got you know a cheap set of harmonicas and the neck thing and tried yeah. to be him for a few years, you know, and hey, it's a good person to emulate for sure. Yeah. And to this day, you know, I, I saw him, I've seen him twice. I'm seeing him again in no November coming okay. up, uh, Capitol theater. I, oh, I think nice. that's upstate. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's a huge influence. I don't even know where, we started with that, but I got lost talking. No, we were, about it. We, no, we, were ta we were talking about playing the harmonica and uh, the guitar at the same time. Yeah, um, I, I think it it came pretty quickly because by then I was already singing and playing guitar mm -hmm. at the same time for a while. So it, I realized that it was really just breathing rhythmically right. and playing, which is a lot of what singing is too. Sure. Mm hmm. So let me let me ask you this: As far as your singing voice, was that something? In other words, when you first started singing in the band back in high school, obviously maybe your voice already had changed. 
did you find your voice early, meaning your intonation and how you sing today? Was that always a part of you, or is that something that, like your guitar playing, develops over time? Uh, it definitely went through some phases. Okay. I think uh, any singer at any point is either unconsciously or consciously emulating somebody else. Okay. Whoever okay. their influences are. And that could start off being, you know, just a flat out like ripoff, you know? <laughs> sure. Uh, I think early on, I started off, you know, kind of emulating Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Then that turned into I was trying to sing more like Kurt Cobain for a while. And some of these old demos are pretty embarrassing because it's clear that I'm acting, you know. I'm like right, right. I'm like a kid trying to sound like a fully grown tough guy or something. Um But over time, you know, little things just become a, a part of what you do and I'm sure there's plenty of times where I was just flat out ripping off Bob Dylan's uh, way of delivering words, but I, f I feel pretty comfortable with where I'm at now. I don't I don't feel like I'm searching for anything in particular. I just searching kinda, for a different voice. Yeah, yeah I just kind of I, I don't even think about it too much. I just kind of sing like I talk. Yeah, it don't. It comes. I think it comes with a certain amount of confidence. Uh, you know, this is the way I sing. I mean, obviously, we all try to emulate somebody. I mean, I remember my my wife, uh, the first time I sang in public, which was not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, and I'm 62. Um, and, you know, I, I love Neil Young, you know, and I would hear from the kitchen, stop singing like, you know, you're not Neil Young, <laughs> you know. I've, I've definitely sung like him before. <laughs> and then, sure. and then it took, you know, I'm an idiot. And then it took some guy in a church group I was with to say, no, there's certain keys that you should sing in Steve. And you're, you're anywhere from, you know, D to E flat, you know, <laughs> E is probably your sweet spot with your voice and go there. But I would be like all over the range, you know, crazy, mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe it's still it the same. It takes a while to, it takes a while to figure out where your comfort zone is yeah. because you want to, you want to push the bear, the boundaries of that as much as you can. Right. You know? Right. I, I equated a lot to public speaking and when I've dissected songs or cover songs, I'm going to sing kind of like when I do a speech, I write, I write the speech, I edit, edit, edit. And then when I go to deliver it, I go over it once again and I draw lines Okay, this is where a pause is going to come in. There's going to be some silence here. Um, this is going to be uh, more energetic. You know, I write in the liner notes, per se, I guess, in the speech mm -hmm. uh, to remind me of the direction, you know, the map of, of what I'm going to do. So, um, but, but then when you, yeah. when, you, when you end up doing the actual public speaking, does it, is it always different than you intended? We're, or in it, do you initial, stick to the plan? Yeah, so initially, uh, this is going to be another left field thing. So I used to be a deacon in the Catholic Church, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned how to deliver homilies. And we had a great homiletics class, which was phenomenal. It was taught by a deacon and his wife, who was a professor of public speaking. And she was just great to say, hey, remember who your audience is. It's not a theological thing. It's, you know, it's men and women and children, whatever. So a lot was close to the script per se, and then it got 
to be more thematic and extemporaneous, where I could look down at four phrases and mm-hmm. I knew what I was, you know, how for the next nine to 12 minutes, the direction I was going in. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Because yeah, I mention it because sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. there will be, uh, I usually don't plan like banter in between songs. Right. But sometimes there'll be like a certain show where I know it's going to be appropriate. Um, like the Jimmy Webb show that I recently did at the Long Island Museum mm-hmm. or the Song Circle at the Bitter End. Um, I knew that for those, it's kind of a shorter performance. And I wanted to have something planned to say before each song. It just was that kind of atmosphere. Right. So I would take the time to kind of think about it and write some things down and read over it. Be like, okay, just kind of like have things planned. But then in the moment, you know, it ends up becoming something totally different. But right. planning ahead good. always helps, you know. Oh, yeah. No, ab- absolutely. And then, you know, I remember talking to Pete Mancini about this is as an audience experiencing any show, any live music, if you as an entertainer have me have the ability to draw me into your world, into your living room, so to speak, Mm-hmm. That that's where I, I it's like okay this guy's authentic he's not he's not phoning it in per se and that just brings it to a different level because we've all been to shows where people have dialed it in it's it's, it's I'd say it's phony there's there's you know there's one act that I had seen where yeah where I saw this particular artist like two or three times local artist and this artist would do something that was very dramatic get down on their knees and, and you know it's like i've seen this way too much and it's not real maybe mm-hmm. you know maybe it's real to you know uh um, being prejudiced there maybe it's real to the people who are seeing it the first time to me it was like oh, this is a little bit staged but eh, maybe that's the way it is i don't know um yeah not- there's a there's a fine line you don't want to have things be too scripted um especially if you're not very experienced in acting and doing that kind of thing right. you're um, a lousy actor but, but yeah. I'm not I'm not uh, very great at coming up with things to say on the spot really you know if, if I don't plan ahead a little bit I end up saying nothing you know at a show right. so I, I like to take time to maybe on my set list like I'll have a little note you know like oh mention this you know in between the songs yeah, and well, I'll think, think about it but there's no script or anything yeah, and you know, and we were talking about Dylan earlier. He never talks, really, uh, at, at all. Barely. And, and it's almost if if I get to his head, into his head, it's almost my music speaking for me. You know, so I'm in, into the music, and yet there are other artists where, yeah, I do want to have a conversation. I don't want Bing, Bing, Bing. You know, I've, I've seen uh, when I saw Jackson Brown, really early when I was a young man, the Running on Empty album, the show was exactly the album and I walked mm-hmm. away and I loved the music but I was like this is a little disappointing you know it's mm-hmm. just I can go home and listen to this I don't you know it was I like the banter to a certain extent it, you know I guess mm-hmm. everyone's got I their lo- opinion about that I love Jackson Brown um, I saw him actually at Jones Beach and he was fantastic but I don't remember him saying all that much uh, oh really yeah I think he talked a little bit but my two favorite artists of all time are Paul McCartney and Bob Dylan. And they're both kind of like polar opposites in many ways. Like when you mm. see Dylan live, 
it's the stage is practically like a dark room you could barely see his face he doesn't speak between songs and he's just shrouded in the mystery that is bob dylan and you just eat it up and you love it and like that's what you want you know as much right. as you think you want him to talk you also don't because you fall in love with the mystery right but then yeah. with, with paul mccartney in between every song he has this wonderfully scripted uh joyful you know thing to say about each song and you eat it up every time you know i could hear him tell the same story a thousand times you know right it's two very different approaches but they yet, they, they do it you, very well and yet the common denominator for me of any any entertainer or singer songwriter is their ability to tell stories whether it's through the music or in, in conversation uh, mm -hmm. you know and that's why uh that's why you guys are, are great uh pod podcast uh, guests because you have great stories to tell hey tell me tom what you've got coming up uh in the near future as far as shows and where do you see where do you see things going for yourself well doing a lot of planning right now um finishing up the recording for the second album and um hopefully figuring out a release date for the springtime okay um, do you have a title yet or no it's just a working I, project I think it's going to be called Made Up Universe, but I'm not totally sure yet. Okay. Right. Um, we have a full band show uh, at the Amityville Music Hall, which is going to be on Christmas Eve Eve. It's, um, it's going to be a night of bands from Long Island, all the bands I've been playing with since oh, I was great. a teenager. We've been doing this show every year i think for over a decade at this point oh excellent so it's always packed and it is, it is always super fun um if you're gonna go to any live music events around christmas time definitely consider going to this one um we're also gonna have it filmed and recorded uh, my set anyway and um hopefully that's going to play a big part in booking some really great shows for 2024 festival shows and you know nice nicer venues so We'll see. Well, Tom, I really want to thank you for joining us on the Long Island Sound. Thanks for giving us a glimpse into your world and definitely your music. I'm really excited to see what more you're going to produce. I'm so happy that I stopped scrolling past your your Instagram reels. And, and, and I, I think there was a couple of times I got to reach out to this guy, you know, and I think it was right through Instagram that that we connected uh, mm -hmm. initially. So, um Thank really, you for having uh, me. Yeah, no, I'm, ex I'm excited about your career. I want to hear more of your music. And, uh, hey, you like you like the people I like, so you have really good influences. So uh, thanks for being here. Definitely. I Hopefully I'll be back soon. You know, we'll talk about the, the next, the third Absolutely. album or something. You're, you're, you're welcome anytime to be on the show. All right, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Peace.